Not you, though. No, not me. Good not morning. You, <laughs> How are you, Steve Vines? I'm going to throw in... Hang on. Four words to get yes, you going. Yes, yes. The... World Press Freedom Day. Today. What's the? What's your point? Exactly. We're in Hong Kong. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, um, and, and happy World Press Freedom Day to all those people who are being oppressed, to those, those uh, journalists, I'm being serious now, who, who were shot up in Afghanistan. The, you know, I mean, this is a very dangerous profession, or trade as I like to call it. I've, I've, uh, seen, I've seen mates, mutual friends of ours, who know what they're talking about, saying things basically online like, is this what we signed up for? I think arguably... It, it yeah. was, wasn't it? Well, I, I mean, yeah, but, but the idea, and this was happened in the Afghanistan attack, that they were deliberately targeting journalists rather than being, you know, incidental casualties. I mean, you kind of accept, well, it's not good, but you do accept that. But being targeted is another level. It's almost like the human shields thing, isn't it? It is. It's and you think, of the, you, you think of the two journalists who are on trial in Myanmar at the moment... Um, for doing their job, etc., etc., and, and the guys it's... that were that were uh, locked up in Egypt a few years back, yeah. the, the the Al Jazeera guys. Well, the Al Jazeera, well, are still, incidentally, still locked up. There's still at least one Al Jazeera person awaiting trial in Egypt. You think of um, the newspapers that are being closed down in Turkey. Yeah. The number of Turkish journalists have been arrested. It's not a happy, it's not a happy day today. I would have thought. Well, at least uh, it's on everybody's mind, which is good stuff indeed. So, you know, the things that are happening in Hong Kong really kind of kind of pale in a way compared to this. Stuff they do, they do. Important. I mean, some of it is just absurd, and and the, and the absurdity of the week that that I I've greatly enjoyed, to be honest with you, is the new instructions from um, the great leader, Comrade Xi Jinping, who 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 says that we must all study the Communist Manifesto because it has enormous relevance to China today. Uh, this, as, as everybody, both of our listeners know, uh, is a document which was produced in 1847, and I can see where Comrade Xi is coming from on this, because it has a lot of detail about how the Communist Party, which was then called the Socialist League, should be dealing with the Social Democrats in Germany. I mean, this is the sort of thing that the average person oh, in the, the street... Communi- you're talking the Communist Manifesto. Yes, the yeah. Communist yeah, Manifesto, right. as written by my mates uh, Karl and Friedrich back in the day. Um, they, anyway, so a lot of it does deal with that, you know, the issue of how to deal with the Social Democrats in Germany and the coming revolution in Germany. Mm. Um <laughs> You sort of read it and you think, gosh, this is relevant to who in Hunan exactly? Um, and what I like about it, I mean, of course, it's written in this awful turgid. Well, remember, it was originally written in German. Not fair play. I, I, to be honest, didn't read it in the original German. I might just have read it in the original English. And um, it's that marvellously turgid language, which is one of the things that the Chinese Communist Party has managed to inherit. If you read the documents that they put out, they're quite faithful reproductions of turgidity. I mean, they do it very, very well. It's, so, it's, it, well, what we get here, I mean, when it, when it finally gets us to English, is this weird Edwardian legalese, isn't it? Yes. And we're all persons, we're not people. And what, Well, or <laughs> no, comrades, or, or broad masses. <laughs> I mean, in fact, Xi Jinping this week did talk about the broad masses again. I'm so happy to see the broad masses come back into play. Hmm. But what I also like is the use of punctuation. You know, no paragraph too long without being broken up by a sentence or so. But that's just the pedantic you know, old hack in me, so we'll, 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 we'll gloss over that. But, I mean, what, what is this all about, really? 
it's really all about, and that's, I mean, so you, you, it's good knockabout stuff reading the Communist Manifesto. And <laughs> I, I, I recommend it to anyone, particularly the preface to the, to the Russian edition, which talks about how it's quite possible they will have a revolution in Russia instead of in Germany, which is the Communist Manifesto confidently predicts, but it's kind of unlikely. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> it's going to be in a top ten list. Don't, 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 don't go to Karl and Friedrich for, um, for predictions. Fortune That's telling. just yeah. my um, tip. But, um, but, you know, why, why is Xi Jinping dragging it out of the archives again? I think it is all to do with this, you know, let's turn the clock back. The idea that you must have the rigid reimposition of the old ideological norms is not the content of them. I mean, they don't, I don't, anybody in China actually reads the Communist Manifesto. And if they do, they'll sort of be sitting there going, oh, gosh, what's all this about? But it's the idea that you have to, while there's all this talk about economic progress, blah, 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 on the ideological front, let's stick with what we know. We know about the Communist Manifesto. You see, they can't any longer recommend people to read Mao Zedong's thoughts because that's kind of on the, uh, you know, on the bottom shelf and can be obtained for three and six at your local bookstore. So you, you go back to, they think, yeah, Communist Manifesto, that's kind of uncontroversial. We'll, we'll stick with that. Because we've got to somehow present the fact that the Chinese Communist Party is in some way a Communist Party rather than just a sort of glorified just power. Just lots of fast-flash motors. And- yes, you know, I mean, no, no Maybach too small for the comrades. <laughs> so, but I, I don't know. I mean, um, and of course the mood is infectious. I mean, that's why we're talking about it in Hong Kong. So you see in terms of... of uh, rewriting history and and looking for historical certainties. You've seen this week these these reports about how the government is trying to rewrite history here and say that the handover never occurred because sovereignty in Hong Kong was never transferred. And you're what thinking, what age group are the kids that are supposed to be reading this? Because all we learnt at school was like coracles and the Romans and Normans and stuff, not like intricacies of 1980s, 70s. And well, 60s. to be fair, it is part of recent history. That's I what mean, I'm saying. But yeah. I mean, I'm, you, you know, I hate to be fair, because I don't come all this way to do that. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, you know, if you, if you are so insecure, people who are insecure in themselves are insecure about history. You only rewrite history when you're worried about the current situation. That is an iron rule of how society works. You're assuming that No, I'm not actually assuming that. No, no, I'm assuming it's a reflection of their insecurity. Mm. I think the average... The average person in Hong Kong does not, strangely enough, spend their thinking hours wondering whether it was a handover or a glorious reunification. I I, I mean, it's possible that that only half the population spend most of their time thinking about that. Well, we wouldn't have done unless this came up once again. again, this is the point, you know, I mean... The, 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 the urge to get people into line. This is what this is all about. You have to conform. There is a right way of thinking. There is history to be rewritten. There is ghosts to be laid to rest. Now, any of these dimwits who think that for 150 years somehow Hong Kong wasn't under British sovereignty... um I'm kind of speechless. That's not a, that's not that's a statement of fact that it was that there was a jurisdiction um, 
which was a colonial jurisdiction presided over by the British. I'm not saying it was a good thing or a bad thing, but it is a fact that it happened. But in the new order, they have said, oh, no, 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 that never happened. Never happened. But as there you was know, no opium war. There was no secession of territory. I mean, treaties were signed, called the Treaty of Nanjing, if you want to um, be pedantic about what it was. And there were subsequent treaties signed between the old colonialists and the you know the the, the old um uh governments of china but why 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 are you so frantic in 90 uh, sorry i'm getting the year wrong 2018 to be worried that you even mention this and somehow it will come the whole system will come crashing down on you just this week it's come out but you you know very well that it was always assumed i mean you could that great story you told me about the visit and it was ours all along and all that kind of yeah. stuff it was always assumed that i'll oh, let them get on with it so th- that's just become in, in some people's minds the real story now remind me of that it wasn't it official went to china and he was whispered in his ear what did he say well it was ours all along that, that was it yeah, was it uh, percy craddock or somebody it was during well the, so the negotiations for what apparently is no longer called the handover, the the, the negotiation for the whatever it's called this week um, took place. Well, they started, they they got off to a full start in um, in 1982 Mm. when Murray McLehose, actually Murray McLehose, um, went to Beijing, who was then the governor of Hong Kong. Okay. Um, obviously, he didn't go on his own initiative. It was something that... I think I'll been, pop in. I'll pop in. I've got nothing to do. It's a wet Wednesday. He was officially there to inaugurate the um, the, the railway. That, the, the then... It's funny how railways always crop up. This mm. was the direct railway service from Hung Ham to, to, to Guangzhou. Okay. And But, uh, of course, everybody knew. And it, uh, because all these things are very carefully choreographed and planned... So they go, they go up to Beijing and uh, embark on talks. And at the last minute, um, they get to see some very senior people. And Maclehose comes with this enormous sheaf of prepared notes. Because at that time, it wasn't clear. We're talking 82, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, sorry. I've got, these, I've got the year wrong. 79. Oh. This all happened in 79. It was even earlier, because the actual talks didn't begin till 82. I mean, the formal talks between Britain and China, they went from 82 to 84. This is 1979, when, when the, in the dying days of the Labour government in Britain, with um, David Owen as Foreign Secretary, who authorised this. So they go up there, they manage to talk to really quite senior people, including Deng Xiaoping, who, uh, who, who sort of just doesn't listen. He just says, well, he, he has a prepared text in which he just says, well, you know, this is ours anyway, so I, I don't understand what you're, what you're here for. And MacLehose, who was an old diplomat, I mean, he was, um, he'd been around the block, he'd been the private secretary to George Brown when he was foreign secretary in Britain. MacLehose was completely flabbergasted by this. I know this because I interviewed him for my book, so he I know it at first hand. He didn't use the word flabbergast. He said, I was a little taken aback. <laughs> um, and they, they went scarpering around and, and, and to see some other Chinese officials saying, do you, do you think we could have another meeting to clarify? And all these people go, no, Comrade Dung has told you what the situation is. He comes back across the border 
And um, again, this is somebody who I interviewed. These are people who, who are all dead, I'm afraid to say. And um, he gets the border and Jack Chater is there, who was, I don't know whether he was, I can't remember what position he was. And he, he, he said, how did it go? And McLehose just said one word, rebuff. And then, I mean, this is, I mean, you know, it's, it's not just the comrades today who, who don't tell the truth. And then McLehose went to speak to the press and just talked about the railway. So it's been a very successful visit. The railway has been opened. And I'm pleased to say that the service will be commencing as of whatever day it was. So most people in Hong Kong didn't even know that these talks had begun. This is fascinating stuff, and I'm so glad you've said this today. It really counts because it, we're hearing it all in the news. It, uh, it is. So, you know, there were, of course, negotiations. There, there was even... Um, and I mean, if there wasn't a handover, why is the joint declaration, the document that led to Hong Kong being returned to Chinese sovereignty, why is it lodged, lodged as a treaty at the United Nations? I heard that some half-baked... Um, weasel come on no less than Radio 3 yesterday I say. and she was saying well in the basic law it doesn't talk about the handover it talks about the resumption of sovereignty and I'm thinking sorry what's your point I mean history doesn't change because you've written a document in it does which say you... resumption though doesn't it well, <laughs> what, yeah, well, that's an interesting point. What are we resuming, <laughs> yes, if it was never given up in the first place? I mean, the party line is, in case anybody's in any doubt, that, you know, Hong Kong has always been part of China. Yes, it's 20 minutes to 11. Thursday morning, still in with Steve Vines. And we, we, we could segue, that's that, I've got very keen on that word, from what have I done to deserve this, to what have I done to deserve the education department. <laughs> they're at it again. I've got a Would very you? big question about liberal studies. Have you? What's that all about? What's that all about then, <laughs> eh? Well, well, I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Because the... the, the the ever hyperactive education department that brought to you um, more more patriotic studies is now going, apparently, although it's officially denied, which probably means it's true, yeah. um, they're going to look again at liberal studies in schools. You see, the problem with liberal studies is, and the key is in the word liberal, is that they kind of, they, they give, I'm sorry to use this word, children at school, yeah. opportunities to not think rigidly. And when children aren't thinking rigidly, it's very, very dangerous because they might be, and I really don't want to say this on the radio, thinking for themselves. Yeah. And you know where that leads, don't you? It's very dangerous. Dancing, dancing yes. Public dancing, it's On possibly. a Tuesday, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, uh, it's interesting. All of these people who've got an authoritarian bent to them hate liberal studies of course, because the word liberal is in, you know, is the name on the tin. They don't like that. They don't like anything that that smacks of not having a structure. They say, you know, these these people they can be they they can be taught a useful skill like mathematics, or maybe um, you know, you know, I mean, we we could talk you know, for the lower classes. They could learn metalworking because that's really useful, and they're probably, to be honest with you, they're not really fit for anything else. Yeah. But but liberal studies, you see, this is a problem. First of all, it's un, it's sort of unstructured. It covers things like society. Thinking. Thinking. And their whole idea is that basically schools and indeed universities are glorified vocational training institutes. So that unless you're not drilling them 
into preparation for the working world, you're doing nothing useful. Whereas my view of education is that if it can broaden the mind, you know, even if it means learning ancient Greek, not that I've ever done it, but I'm told, it broadens the mind. It gives you an ability to think. And if you have an education system that, that enhances the ability of young people to think, it, in my view, it's doing its job. Mm. It's not doing its job if all it is is a glorified vocational training thing. But they hate liberal studies, so I'm quite sure that if it does survive as part of the so-called core curriculum, they will be very busy to make sure that it's structured in such a way maybe they can talk about what we were talking about before the break, the handover not having existed, you know, the transfer of sovereignty never having taken place. I mean, there's scope for all sorts of new thinking in the old thinking, as long as it's the right thinking. Are we talking about removing it or just changing certain things? Not, not so, clear, not, not so clear. It, well, studies. it's all at the level of rumour at the moment. I mean, the rumour is that they will remove it as a core subject, which means, at the moment, a core subject means that the kids actually have to pass and examine it <coughs> before they can move on. Yeah. They're still being told stuff, though, aren't they? They're still being told stuff. I mean, I, I'm not very het up about what, what, what is an exam subject and what isn't. But, of course, in the Hong Kong system, once something ceases to be an exam subject, it is of no importance whatsoever. It's like physical education, whatever that is. Yeah. Because you can't really do an exam in it, you know. There isn't a mark to be had. Mm. There's not, you know, 10 out of 10 to be achieved. Therefore, it's not important. I want to go back to the storm in a teacup thing here. I mean, do you really think your average child is going to walk <coughs> out of that room like Joe 90 getting out of his capsule being totally brainwashed he's just going to go can i go for a wee wee please is it time for home yet <laughs> there's all of that there's all of that but i mean the the insidious drip drip i think that's the problem hmm. there's an insidious drip drip and some of it some of that water doesn't just collect and go down and drain it sort of lingers and pollutes so you know <laughs> the more various... the more nationalist propaganda children are fed some of it will stick various topics over the years that kids all over the world have been fed and i mean i don't think it's damn you know it, t turning back the clock how, however many years you'd always have religious education and it was always christian dogma these days yeah. you'd be you'd be strung up for not being inclusive but did it, it did it really damage anybody i don't know well i don't i mean it, it is a fair point i mean i know because i do quite a lot of people who were at school on the mainland during the cultural revolution right where that it is was a slightly it, different but but it was of a much higher... I mean, this was far more intense. They literally had to stand on their desks in the classroom, holding their little red book, chanting slogans yes. each day. Not, not sometimes, each day for long periods of time. And if you ask the average person who stood on the desk with a little red book, what slogans did you chant? They'll go, oh, I don't know. So even at that level, yes. Yeah, even so, I'm saying that was far more intense. I'm not saying that even the dear old education department is is thinking of reverting to that level of nonsense. Mm. So you know, I mean, it is. I, I'm. I. I do agree with you. It is counterproductive because it's just so irrelevant, and people, particularly small children, they just. I wonder where Why this leaves. I wonder where this leaves legally. Where this leaves parents, <coughs> and I, you know, obviously the other discussion here is what kind of schools are we talking about? Because don't forget, Hong Kong's crawling with private schools, international That's schools, true. and stuff. And but they still have parents. to follow a curriculum. Sure, sure, sure. I know, but they won't have to do a lot of this stuff. Yeah. The national anthem, etc. I wonder mm. where this leaves parents who really put their foot down and say, "I'm not having my kids sit through this nonsense." Well, we've had an. We, we, uh, I mean, it, it's. It, it, it is something that we actually know about because we have had 
a parent's rebellion against children that, sitting. That test. The, the, these so-called tests which are supposed to be monitoring the teachers rather than the children. I mean, get your head around that one. So, you know, you have had parents just simply saying little johnny is not going to go be taking that exam and that just goes into a gray bin does it sort of well and and the the thing is fortunately there's been a large number of parents are doing it and the schools are going oh well that's very wrong um oh i think we better ignore it so so mm. the system is open to challenge parents do and and i hope parents have noticed that they have a bit of power in this because you know if you simply say to the school no, my son and daughter isn't going to be doing that. The schools can make a fuss, but if enough of them do it, they, they always well, back down. This it's like up. bullies, I always know. back down when somebody stands up to them and says, I'll tell you what, I'll punch you in the nose if you keep threatening so me. So child absence here doesn't seem to be a problem. Remember those schools up in the Northern New Territories where these kids were, what was it, on leave? On leave? <laughs> well, those are, the, those are the, phantom, the phantom children. He's on leave. Yeah, well, that was, that, that, well, that was another scam where, where, the, where the schools were inflating their... I was going to say their payroll, but it does come down to payroll. They were, they were inflating their attendance rolls so that they got more resources and the teachers got paid more. I think that particular scam has been knocked on the head. But, hey, I'm not, I'm not Wait, saying that with any confidence. Where's the best place to hide something? Right under people's noses. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that, one, that was a nice one. I, I enjoyed that. Do you remember the headmistress yeah. who was particularly involved in this? Who, 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 who said triumphantly at the end, when it had been proved conclusively that she'd been playing fast and loose with the numbers, she said, I'm going to sue! I'm going to sue! Do you know what? I've never heard anything of that defamation suit whatsoever. <laughs> wide mouth frog. Yes. <laughs> As she got out of her Lexus that had been paid for on a poor teacher's salary, literally. Just to, just to wrap this one up then, go back to this liberal studies thing. Yes. Um, What's your what's your sort of final say on it? Is it going to be messed with? Is it going to be killed? What do you reckon? I I think as as ever it will be a shoddy compromise. Or this will just go away. No, I think it will be some sort of ghastly, horrible little shoddy compromise where the 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 sort of the the, the odious people who don't like children being educated in anything but you know except for the, the maths, their kids in Canada. Yeah, well, their kids of course are in Canada. <laughs> that's right. So it doesn't really matter. But we're, we're only talking about Hong Kong children, so it hardly matters. Um, so they'll have a compromise whereby. The liberal studies curriculum will be reduced and I think it will contain a lot more of the sort of patriotic light stuff that makes all the gently all the flag wavers happily. Yes, you know. A little bit of communist manifesto for a Wednesday morning. Hmm. One more. Good thing. One more. Well, we heard on the bulletin about the, the listing of Xiaomi, this massive I'll just go and get a coffee now. Yes, you take yes, it away. <laughs> this massive Chinese mobile telephone uh, telecoms company. Yeah. And this is this is the first of the listings under the stock exchange's new rules. What's interesting about it for the average punter, other than the ability, because if you get hold of some of the shares in the initial public offering, you are likely to make a bubble too. But besides that, the new regime has come into play at the stock exchange. So you can have a company like Xiaomi listing that doesn't actually make a cent. Not a cent. It, it makes massive losses. And perhaps more insidiously, it has a, an owner who controls the company through a preferential share structure, which hasn't been allowed in Hong Kong before. Now, Hong Kong has done very well to hold the line against this kind of dodginess, but the barriers have now collapsed. So let's see what happens. This is the first 
Maybe it will be a good one, but boy, we're going to see some dirt washing up on the shore after that one.